Welcome to How Did I Get Here, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the careers of working professionals to learn about their journey so far, career joys and struggles, and advice for people considering the same path as them. My name is Erica Lipton, and this season we are talking to Protestant pastors and asking them the question, how did they get here? My title is Reverend James Williams, and you can call me James, and I am pastor at the First Baptist Church of Philadelphia. We are a community dedicated to um, embodying the radical love of Jesus Christ in our community. Uh, And how that looks throughout different ages uh, has really shocked me. You know, so we're a 323-year-old congregation, and we're just trying to love Jesus as best we can in the times and place that we're at. Awesome. And how long have you been there? Oh, yeah. I um, Not too long. So I started in January of 2020. Um, what a time. Yes. What a, yeah. And it was, um, I've been in ministry for a while, but this is my first lead pastorate. And uh, yeah, that was a shock. But also, honestly, um, it was also a real blessing um, in the sense that I got into ministry because um, I wanted I wanted to be a prophetic voice, you know, and, and uh, be a be a tangible beacon of light and love to the people in the community that I'm immersed in. And that was incredible, you know, to experience that in Philadelphia during the coronavirus. Um, I was able to minister and witness in a way that I never would have been able to. And even just going to um, transitioning from a suburban ministry into an urban context down down downtown, it was a uh, it was completely foreign to me, uh, you know. So, and I've I found that it's it's incredible. There's a, there's a saying that Tony Campolo used to say. He said, um, "You don't need to go to a developing nation um, to experience a developing nation," you know. And uh, I I find that in Philadelphia, especially since volunteerism has declined so much since the coronavirus, you know. So it's been it's been incredible for me. I think. Um, it's amazing to feel like you're just where God wants you to be. And that's not always the case for me, but that's what it is right now. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's wow. really cool. Um, I could, like, see it on your face, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, that, <laughs> there, there is definitely a, a real appreciation to God for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm thankful. Um, so when you were a little kid, I can't imagine you were like, my dream job is to be the beacon of light of Christ, right? <laughs> um, oh, yes. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Certainly not. So what, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Yeah, um, and that's, you know, that's changed throughout the years. My, my earliest recollection, and like the family joke was, I wanted to be an orthopedist, but I couldn't even say the word right. Uh, I had I had gotten like stitches, and the person who did it in the emergency room was an orthopedist, and before I could even like have have um, tangible memories uh, for some reason I want to be an orthopedist and um, as I as I developed I also developed a love for drumming I've been drumming since I'm se- since I was seven and uh, I got more and more serious as I went through school and when it was the time when um, when we high schoolers decide what's next you know I uh, the only thing I felt passionate about the only thing that I felt like oh I guess I could do this for the rest of my life is music um, so I did that and I went to music school um, and I was drumming, and, and I guess I was doing okay because uh, I was too busy to go to school. So I dropped out of school. Huh. Um, yeah, it was it was weird. Uh, I dropped out of school, and um, where were you in music school? Uh, Millersville, out in Lancaster. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was neat, and um, I kind of went back to the Philadelphia area. I was doing some stuff up in Williamsburg and Brooklyn, and um, I found that as much as I liked it, one. Uh, I wasn't super talented. Like, I was good, not like, you know, I, I can watch YouTube videos of, like, three-year-olds just playing circles around me. And that's still the case today. I'm just like, oh, no. Um, but two, uh, it didn't carry a lot of meaning for me. I was finding a lot of these really strong existential questions. Um, and uh, I won't go on about it, but I had I had some really strong, um, just... Uh, extraordinary spiritual encounters in my early 20s and when I was really little very similar just um, something that I could only uh, I could only see as being the work of God at least that was the most logical to me and that's a big that's a big statement coming from me it, um, it, the development of faith took a long time mm-hmm. you know but th- so these experiences are what have rooted my faith um, and so uh, I started feeling this 
this call into ministry, and I started doing more in my church, and my parents are both American Baptist pastors, you know, so I already had a... Oh, so you were a PK. Yeah, oh my goodness, and you know, it's like generational, like I'm like a fifth generation pastor, like my grandparents, my wow. grandma, my uncles, it's just, it's all in there, wow. so so I guess it's not too surprising, um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I was in the ministry, and I said, you know what, it's time for me to look at ministry full-time. I was around 23, um, and so I moved back home with my parents. I, I love my parents, but I was not I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> and I moved back in, and so I can go, I, I want to go back to school um, so that I can go into seminary, and uh, my dad dies. Two weeks later, I moved in, and it was really special because I got to spend, you know, the, this last time with him, mm-hmm. and one of the things that happened was now there was a gap at the church for, in the Christian education program, mm-hmm. and I, I had always enjoyed learning, and um, I guess I had, uh, I had certain talents in that area, and so they asked me to start teaching a Bible study, and I fell in love with it, Erica. Like, I was just blown away. Um, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, you know, and it was it just became my passion. Um, and I was I was doing like these crazy radical things, like I was like blowing through the Bible, like in ninety days, you know, like yeah. one of those things. I just I couldn't stop. I was obsessed, and um, that obsession hasn't gone away. Uh, my my nerdiness for for the Hebrew Bible and and um, the New Testament is just uh, I don't know. It's there, and uh, it's. My life has felt more and more actualized ever since. I'm I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you grew up. You moved home. What did that process of you were working at the church? Did you have to go back and get your bachelor's degree? Yeah, I did. So in um, in most mainline denominations, and American Baptist is one of them, uh, the general requirement for ordination, and there are caveats and nuances, but. Um, you have to have a master's degree, mm-hmm. and generally, to get a master's degree, you have to have a bachelor's degree. So, uh, I and and I knew I wanted a bachelor's degree. Um, I've had this vision of a PhD, uh, just because of my my nerdiness, I guess. Yeah. Um, Desire for, for, for learning. Yeah. So I thought at least I need to get the bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I had to go back to school anyway, and I liked it, you know. So. So you do undergrad in religion then? No. So I did. Because originally I was studying music when I went to college, mm-hmm. the program that took the most of my credits, as so I transferred over to Penn State, mm-hmm. um, because they only required your last thirty credits to be at their institution. Most schools require sixty, yeah. and I ended up loving Penn State. By the way, it was so much fun. It was a blast. They were a great community. I had wonderful, wonderful professors. Um, but. Uh, I totally forget what, I, what I'm answering here, Erica. What degree? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, Letters, Arts, and Sciences is what it was called. And, and it was like, it's kind of like a build-your-own degree program. And you have to write this, um, you have to write like a paper, um, a guiding paper, I think they called it. And it, it was hefty. It was a hefty paper for an undergraduate program talking about how you're going to integrate these courses that you choose into your um, desired career path. And mine was to be in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that, and it was really cool. I got to tailor my classes um, to my interests and my desires uh, coming into seminary. That's so cool. It was, it was a great program. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. So then did you go right out of that into seminary? I did, yeah. Um, but I was older. It took me nine years to get my undergrad degree. Oh, wow. um, so I was, I was young in the seminary world, uh, although I'm talking to someone who was younger than me when I entered seminary. <laughs> a rarity. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of younger folks in the seminary world now. There's a few of us. It's yeah. cool. It's yeah. really exciting to see. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so I went. I went right into seminary. Then after that, and that was all. That was all a God thing too. I mean, it was just. Um, I had no means, and God just made it happen. You know, and uh, and it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So up until this, when you described you, you keep saying you knew you wanted to go into ministry. Yeah. Did you know what type of ministry? I had no idea. Um, and, and I was aware, uh, growing up in the church so strongly with my parents being pastors, that there were different ways to serve in the ministry. And so when I say the ministry, I was thinking of um, theological education. I wanted to be a professor um, of something. I didn't even know what. I was thinking Bible, but I just knew I wanted to teach something because I had this love for cultivating knowledge and sharing it with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was that was the plan. But I also have um, I have a relational component uh, innate in me, and um, 
I found that this is one of my greatest strengths in ministry, and it's really what pulls me to my work now, which is not theological education. It's very practical pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something about Jesus' words, about serving the least of these, um, that just create this aching in my soul. I think it's Abraham Heschel in his book, The Prophets, talks about the... um, the heavy inspiration of God that would fall on the prophets. And not that I'm a prophet, but I sometimes I feel like I can sense that inspiration, you know, and uh, I feel it most when I'm working with, say, our homeless brothers and sisters or um, food insecure individuals um, and just people who are generally trampled upon by the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So do you think there's like a distinctive moment where that switched for you or do you think it was just like a more of a gentle nudging no it was a gentle nudging um, because I've always I had really um, I had wonderful models for parents and they um, they were very much into volunteering and um, but more more impactful than that just the way they would go out of their their way to help other people um, I was talking with uh, my mother just yesterday and we were talking about a time we were in Florida we were supposed to go to Disney World and we made this one stop and there's this uh there's this this family from Cuba and they, they barely speak any English and their car has broken down and we're just like, Dad, let's go to Disney World. It's like, not until we help these people. And of course, they don't have a jumper cable and we don't and we drive them to a Walmart, we get a jumper cable, we, we come back, the jump doesn't work, so then we, we tow their car and it ended up be- being this beautiful thing where the gentleman happened to work at Disney World and we got free passes for the wow. day, which was crazy. But at the time, I remember just being more influenced by the generosity of my parents, their patience and their genuine desire to want to, you know, I guess be a good Samaritan, if you will. Um, and that's always stuck with me. Uh, and and it's just uh, you know living in Center City, you come to face with some of the starkest contrasts of human existence readily, mm-hmm. and uh, it's easy to be moved by people. It's also easy to put up a wall and ignore them. You know, and mm-hmm. that, you live in the city. I'm sure you have to struggle with that too sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Every day I leave my apartment and I'm on a mission field, and it feels like it because every day I walk out and um, right outside my door are my homeless friends, but they're legitimately my friends now, um, you know. And what am I to do but to help feed them, to help clothe them, to at least speak with them, talk with them, and pray with them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I find great reward in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really why I'm in the ministry. Yeah. That's- that's awesome. Yeah, it's it God. It's all God, and God is just so cool. You know, he's uh, yeah, he's cool. He's great. He's good. He's all these things. Did you ever? So I feel like with pastors' kids, a lot of the time, like mm-hmm. they either they either grow up being told that they're going to ministry, and they like resent that and revolt, or they kind of go to this other side of like leaning into it and stuff like that. And so, was there ever a time where you were kind of like? Forget this. Like, oh, I don't want to follow in your footsteps. Like, that is that is so funny. There's there's like there's not enough time to talk about the psychological effects of being uh, a PK and a double PK at that. And me and my brothers have all have our own journeys and stories, and and um, each have viewed the church differently. But I will say a consistent thing is, despite having the best and coolest parents, we all went through a, a recalcitrant recalcitrant phase. Um, right around high school, college. And it wasn't bad, you know, but for for pastor's kids, it was bad. Uh, And my parents were just so loving and accepting and patient throughout all this, you know, and um, we had had a family rule, you know, you could go out and uh, um, you could be out as late as you need to, but you have to be at church on Sunday. And we would push that to the extreme and walk in and the worst looking, most inappropriate, things for church and my parents were just happy that we'd show up you know and uh yeah yeah so that was that was special to me and it really spoke to the inclusivity of the church i had good models in in that regard not every church models it that way but for a kid on my journey as i was i think if they had pushed hard against it i would have just backed out you know and and christianity was tough for me to begin with if it if it wasn't for these experiences um the logic just wasn't there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't see 
I couldn't see the appeal of Jesus Christ, just too many similar um, figures in history, and, and you know all this, and, uh, and yeah, but I've just been so blessed and amazed to lean into God, and, and I find that, you know, when I fall, God catches me. Um, which is beautiful. There's no questions that seem to be off limits to God. God has such grace for me. Um, I I relate well to a to doubting Thomas, you know, mm. and um, and it's affected my ministry because I also speak uh, and relate well with others who are going through similar struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just I'm blessed that in the midst of that I can find God and and not just an impersonal God, but a God who um, who is love. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Your parents sound so cool. Uh, they are. They, uh, they, yeah, they're really cool. Cool parents. Cool parents. Yeah. Um, yeah so one cool more. Parents. Yeah. <laughs> one more question about pastors' kids. So, do you think if you hadn't grown up as a pastor's kid, do you think you would have ended up on the same track? I don't know. Uh, I mean, logic would probably dictate no, um, because of my. I'm very much a product of. Um, of my generation, I relate to millennials well, and um, in every category except for religious affiliation, I tend to agree with my 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 peers as, as millennials. Um, uh, but I I am unique in that I identify as a Christian. Uh, I don't know that that would have happened without my parents' um, loving and guiding hand, their patience. Um, my father's ability to walk with me in difficult questions where I, w- I would drill hard. You know, I'd be like, no, dad, let me, let me tell you why you're wrong. You know, and he, he was just great. And I was, I was really lucky to have such, um, uh, yeah, such, such great mentors in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. God, w- God would have had to have spoken boldly, I would say. Mm, okay. um, but it seems that God does. I was going to say, it sounds like he has in yeah. your life. He, he knows, he gives me just what I need to anchor me. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, little rebellious high school phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. came all the way and you came to seminary. You came to Palmer, correct? Mm-hmm. I did. Um, what was the seminary experience like for you? Yeah, I... Uh, in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about the seminary experience being a, um, a haven in the life of a Christian, just a special set of years that you'll never get back. And um, I relate to that well, and I hope it's not true, uh, because seminary was the greatest time of my life. Mm. Um, it, was the, it was when I had the least amount of worries. It was a time when I felt so secure. I knew I was right where I was supposed to be, and I was surrounded with all these other believers, and um, it was a beautiful time for me. I loved it. Um, originally, I was really I was hesitant about coming to Palmer. I, I was looking at five different seminaries, and my mother had gone to Palmer, and my grandfather used to teach here when they were Eastern Baptist, yeah. and so there was a strong there was strong pressure from them for me mm-hmm. to go here. Mm-hmm. And I think just because of that, I was like, no. I'm going to move away, I'm going to go far away, all this stuff, because I grew up in Upper Darby, right outside of Philadelphia, you know, so I wanted to get, get out of here. Um, and I went to five open houses, and um, uh, I, I told it to him all the time, but Dr. Don Brash, professor of systematic theology here. I have him on Tuesday nights. Oh, you're so lucky. It's awesome. He, um, he I, I met him at the open house, and... Uh, what I would identify now as the Holy Spirit was just present. And I remember listening to this meeting, I'm like, oh no, this is where I'm going to go. God is so funny. And so I talked to Dr. Brash afterwards, and we just clicked. And we talked for like an hour and a half, and he never met me or anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, this is the place, you know? And, and now I, um, I'm still, I'm, I'm looking, I'm always looking around at PhD programs and such. And what I'm struggling with is I'm not as inspired the way I was to come to seminary. And I'm looking for that. I'm waiting for that, mm-hmm. for God to speak clearly um, as he did at that open house when I came to Palmer. Yeah. 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 And Palmer was great for me. It was a great fit. Yeah. 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 How long did you take for seminary? Three years. Three years? Um, yeah. I had entered into a 98 credit program. And by my second semester, it was a 78 credit program. Oh. 
so yeah, and it was it was unexpected, um, and it had it made for some weird math with classes, but the, the professors made it work and stuff, and um, and yeah, so so I was able to finish in three years, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so from talking to you right now, and uh, you've sound like more a very scientific minded type of person. Would you say sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. My, my personality tests uh, indicate that. Um, at my most comfortable and natural, yes, but I have a desire to please people for good or for bad that will override that logic sometimes. I, I'm motivated by feeling and love, mm. uh, and I, that ties well with being a pastor, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm most comfortable uh, in a, a thinking state. Yeah. 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 Well, so I, what I was going to ask was, has that ever like been a conflict with you being a pastor and like feeling like, but it sounds like maybe not. Um, I'm in a community right now where uh, ideologically and um, just kind of backgrounds are, are similar and so we jive well together mm-hmm. um, but of course you know the pastoral pastoral element can really clash with um, with the scientific for a few reasons I think one because um, in his book, uh, Interpretation of Christian Ethics, um, Reinhold Niebuhr talks about um, both the strengths and weaknesses of orthodoxy and liberalism. And um, one of his condemnations of orthodoxy, he has two main ones. One is that um, they have embedded all their morals into a dogmatic system, uh, a rule code. Uh, He states that um, Orthodoxy has tied religion with an outdated and um, subjective science. Mm. And when we try to take um, this particular way of looking at scripture and mesh it with observations given to us by science, uh, telling us how we're supposed to think about things and such like that, we find conflicts when really um, we're not even talking about thinking in the same types of categories and thinking in the same types of ways. You know, one thing about modern history and the science behind how we do historiography is that we're chronologically based. Um, this is, this is uh, in terms of human history, a, relative, um, a, a relatively new thing. Herodotus, um, just, a, just 200 years before Christ, uh, starts developing history in kind of this archaic um, but still chronological fashion. It's developing, but it's clearly still not the norm when we finish or go into New Testament times. And so we, what we see is that there's just different ways of looking at Scripture, and that's really what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it yields interesting results. And sometimes that's cool, and sometimes it yields a lot of questions, and sometimes that's not cool. You know, I'm a question person, but not everyone is. Sometimes we're looking for surety. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a pastor, I'm responsible to give that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want two things for um, members when they come into church on a Sunday. I want them, as they always remember, uh, they come and they, they want to escape the horrors and the evils of the world. And they tell me this. They tell me this when I've said something that offends them. And they say, I've come to church to escape the horrors and the mm-hmm. evils of the world. And to that I say, yes, you do. We absolutely do. That is what church is for. But also we must grow. And growth requires this kind of tension. Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about you know, being ref- refined. And he talks about going through the fires. And um, uh, it talks about this tension between um, being who you are and uh, being formed into the person that God is making you to be. Mm-hmm. And we get this impression, at least, that... Um, we should remember that suffering and evil are two different things, and suffering is not always bad. Sometimes suffering is required such that we can go through this um, this crucible towards being who we're called to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so like, even as you talk, like that was a very scientific way of being... Yeah, like, I know. I'm like, James, why'd you do all that? <laughs> but no, it's a very scientific <laughs> way of saying, you know, like... It's important that these people grow, and it's important they feel loved. Yeah, and well, so that, that's something I've had to think about because um, there are these kind of uh, perennial 
issues that come up that I'm learning about as I in my nascent pastorates, you know, um, and uh, that's that's one of them. Some people don't like to be challenged in church, and I wouldn't say uh, that I I am a particularly challenging pastor. That that hasn't seemed to have been my voice, but at times it is, um, particularly uh, in the summer of um, in, of 2020 after the um, after the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, the sermons that came out through that summer, um, as Philadelphia was, uh, you know, coming to grips with um, their relationship with systemic structures, you know, it was um, it was really hard for some people to hear uh, what I thought and still believe were godly principles. Um, essentially, that racism has no place in the kingdom of God. There aren't these isms there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to some people, uh, the idea of systemic racial structures or systemic structures in general is foreign. It's scary uh, because it, it kind of sounds like I'm a bad person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'm part of the system. Mm-hmm. The reality is, we're all part of systems. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's a great thing about seminaries. You learn a lot about th- systems theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has come to be a tremendous benefit to me. Um, in ministry, actually, all these um, these courses on congregational care and practical ministry—they really, really have their place. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like the, the pro- professors know what they're talking about. Crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they <laughs> they've been through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so you love seminary? You went to seminary? Oh my gosh! Did I just spend twenty minutes saying how much I love seminary? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so I do love seminary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're here voluntarily taking a class. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, that says something. So once you graduated, where did you go from there? Yeah, I was um, uh, I was working for the American Baptist International Ministries at the time, which is the global outreach arm of the American Baptist churches and mm-hmm. um, that was a wonderful experience for me and it, it, it really shaped my missiology um, in internalizing the unity of all brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. around the globe. Um, I knew it you know theologically I, I, I knew the theory behind it but this is what made it become real to me inside mm-hmm. uh, and that was really special and so I did that for like a, a year and a half and I, I was courting churches and there were um, just trying to discern where God and what God was calling me to. And, and I really liked my job at International Ministries. I wanted to stay there. I felt God pulling me elsewhere, though. Mm. Um, and just through a lot of prayer, some weird little, um, you know, yay God moments in here and random, you know, they make it into like my miracle journal thing. These kind of things help point me to the church that I'm at now. And, and just like Palmer wasn't my first choice, no offense to you, First Baptist, you weren't my first choice right away. Um, but you quickly became my first choice, and I see why. Mm-hmm. The moment I was there, uh, I was like, okay, this is going to be an interesting project. This will be cool. I, I, we'll see what God's going to do. And then corona happens, and it felt like I was supposed to be there. I could minister mm-hmm. tangibly. I had these, um, I have skills that come along with just being younger in that I can use a computer uh, adeptly, and this was just not in their wheelhouse at the time, yeah. you know? And uh, so going to, to live streaming was something we could make happen, and it was. Uh, it seemed like the pieces just fit together really well. And I was yeah. like, "Oh my goodness! I listened to God right." You yeah, know? you're like, "I finally got." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so much better than the. All right, we're pushing you back. You're starting over because you got it wrong. Yeah, know? exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm humbled, truly humbled, that uh, no matter how much I worry about it, God seems to put me in the right place. Uh, despite my best efforts, it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there, there's comfort in that. As I talk about that with you, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more grateful for it. Well, you say despite your best efforts, but you and you kind of glazed over when you were working for International Ministries. You know, you said you know, you're journaling or whatever. You know, like you, you were doing the work to figure it out, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Could uh, you like speak more of what that looked like for you? Yeah. Well, w- w- when you say figure it out, which what is it? To like discern where God was calling you. So yeah. You felt the nudge. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it felt like a restlessness in my spirit. Um, and I and I was, uh, thanks to my time at seminary, um, and particularly in this regard, through the mentorship of, well, I don't even want to say one person, just lots of people. Um, uh, I had already gotten, um, I, had a, I had a steady uh, stream of pulpit supply. 
Um, mm. And I loved it, too. Uh, at Pulpit Supply especially, you know, because God can speak through the same sermon at different locations is what I found. And so it was, it was just really cool to see how one sermon, I would hate it somewhere and then love it somewhere else, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it just, just really neat. And... Uh, uh, yeah, but I, it was a real struggle. It was a real wrestle. And meeting with all these churches and praying and asking everyone's advice, and no one knows what advice to give, you know. Um, and uh, I was one weekend I was praying. I had to make a decision about First Baptist. I was accepted the offer, and I was like, I don't know what to do, God. And out of the blue, um, someone who I'm not particularly close with, just uh, a friend of a friend, a family member of a friend, um, who I just talked with once, they messaged me, like at this moment I'm praying uh, through Facebook, and they said, hey, I don't know why, um, I, I you keep coming up in my prayer right now, and God's telling me to tell you to take the leap and do it, and she said, I don't know what it is, but you should do it, and it was literally as I was wow. praying, I know, that was a miracle journal moment, yeah. you know, like I, I, I have to remember that, Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay. You're like, give me a message, Facebook message pops up. Yeah, and I, I mean, wow. I, I was, uh, it might not come across here, but I was, I was very anxious about this, you know, I, a window was closing that would shape the rest of my life. Am I going to be a pastor at one of these five churches? Am I going to stay in international ministries? I was looking at PhD programs, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I feel comfortable that I'm right where I'm supposed to be right now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's comforting, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I just, I love how much passion you, like, very Aww. clearly have talking about it. Um, so what, so now you're in the church, you've been there for, like, a year now, right? Uh. We're coming up on, it will be two years this January. Wow, okay, so like I a year and a half. Time is flying, That's yes. insane, I didn't even think about it. Um, what's the experience been like for you? Like, how is it different than working for a nonprofit? Yeah. Um, Did you feel prepared? Uh, to, that, to that effect, no. Um, <laughs> I thought I would feel prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still don't feel prepared fully. I'm, I'm learning as I go. Um, and uh, I felt very confident going in because I'd seen it. I prepared for it my whole life. I'm like, if anyone's going to do it right away, it's me. But, you know, there's just such so many questions that come up and um, life is not black and white. And that doesn't, that doesn't make anything easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been grateful to have a lot of past pastoral mentors and uh, even professors from here at Palmer that I can call mm-hmm. and, and kind of hash out things and you know, use as a sounding board, and that's been helpful. Um, uh, but no, I even the preparedness. I don't. I don't know when that comes. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's been a, it's been a real gift. Okay. Yeah. There was a second part to that question, and I. It was. Um, I'm gonna forget what it was. Oh, I, I asked how was it different than working in a nonprofit capacity. Oh yeah. Um, Everyone's experience will be different, I'm sure. Uh, mine has been that it is, um, by my own choosing in many ways, uh, a lot more time-consuming. Mm. Uh, you, I see this with a lot of pastors, and it's not necessarily healthy, so don't take my advice here. But, you know, the work can just be so immersive. I mean, 80 or 90-hour weeks happen a lot. Uh, and it's just, it's the nature of the ministry, you know. Um, yesterday is Wednesday. I was at the church from 7 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. last night, you know. And I should say that's not typical. Wednesdays and Thursdays are rough for me, um, generally. Uh, but, you know, it's it's time-consuming. Uh, in my experience, it can be lonely. But I, it's been lonely for me because I'm the only pastor there. I hope that is not the case for others. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's been great to have um, other, uh, other bodies that I can connect with, you know, and uh, being part of a ministerium and... Um, that's been helpful and I, I don't get particularly lonely so I only I, I say it and I, I open up and be vulnerable here because I think that's a real reality for a lot of pastors mm-hmm. um, y- you know you'll be at the church at 530 on a Sunday setting up things and you're like I did not go through all that school to plunge this toilet and to set up these chairs and, and you know those are the kind of nasty thoughts that can s- start creeping into your head mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So when when you do think that, what what is the thing that like kind of gets you back on track, reignites 
Well, you know, okay, it's interesting that I say that. Um, fortunately, in those experiences, it's um, oddly, Erica, there's like a moment of grace there. Uh, I, I, I say all the time to my mother, because she, she has a similar thing where um, we find real peace when we're doing that kind of work. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost as if I'm saying, God, I'll do anything for you. Like, mm. it's, it's not a big deal. And it really isn't a big deal, you know. And, um, and it's not without benefit either, in a variety of ways, benefit for me. Um, but other, other people see what you're doing and, you know, they, they respond accordingly to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it can be hard, for sure. The pa- I think I, you cannot be a pastor if you're not called to it, if you don't feel a passion for it. And that's just really important. I wish it wasn't the case, because I want everyone to be a pastor. You know? um, <laughs> You're the first person I've ever heard say that. <laughs> well, I don't know that it was God's intention, right, that everyone should be a pastor. Yeah. Uh, but it, for, me, it's, for me, it's the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you work at a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. You grew up Baptist. I did. How... Was there ever a decision to stay Baptist? Yeah, that was a big that was a big thing for me. Really? Uh, I had assumed when I was uh, right before entering seminary, I thought to myself, "Well, you're Baptist, and you're only a Baptist because your parents are Baptists," and that didn't jive well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at this point, I should say I'm still wrestling with. Um, I've decided to be committed to this God that I've experienced. But I did not know if this God was Jesus Christ or not. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm toying between Judaism and Christianity. Like I've had this radical experience now twice, just knocked me out of the wall. You know, like a logical guy like me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Uh, and I, yeah. Um, so I hadn't come to accept Jesus Christ full, fully as my Lord and Savior. And you know, even that's nuanced because when I was younger, I had, and then I guess I just kind of backed off. And you know, it, it's the way relationships go. Um, of describing it as a relationship. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And, and it's a graceful one at that. You know, God puts up with a lot for me. Uh, <laughs> he's, yeah, he, she, very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nice indeed. Yeah. Um, but so what did, what did connect you, say, Christian, Christianity, Baptist? Baptist, yeah. yeah. What, what did that? Yeah, the... Uh, the Jesus thing came um, when I would read scripture, the New, the New Testament scriptures in, in particular, uh, I, I was noticing an inspiration that I wasn't encountering in other, in other texts. And that could be um, e- even relative to the, to the parts of the Old Testament, but I'm talking about the Quran and so, the things of this nature. And I find that uh, there's wisdom, uh, but whatever this experiential um, inspiration is that I'm talking about I'm not feeling it there you know and I don't I didn't want to put a lot of stake into a feeling that's not the way we think right in a post-enlightenment age we say oh uh, feelings are subjective they're hard to measure uh, they're not quantifiable or not easily quantifiable so we just reject them Um, there's probably not a lot of wisdom in that either and uh, so I hold on to these um, these experiences. So anyway, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, and I, I become moved by the story of the, um, or the plight of the early Christians, particularly the incredible persecution surrounding them. Um, you know, they're being placed on stakes and lit on fire and marched through parades. They're having their children sewn into animal carcasses and thrown to lions. They're being boiled alive. They're um, being crucified all over, you know. And, um, I don't want to give the impression like this is all the first 300 years of Christianity. There's just different isolated persecutions and yeah. some are stronger than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was moved uh, and I, I thought it gave me pause to consider why would Paul, you know, um, be so devoted to someone that he was so not, um, not committed to, you know. And so, so I, suddenly, like... so suddenly and you're like, okay, so Paul is a whack job or, you know, Paul's legit. Uh, and that started getting me leaning. Well, people say that about Jesus. They're like, he's either crazy or the son of God. Yeah, like, I, I was just saying that the other day, I think. Really? right? Well, because Jesus says in, in John 13, for instance, this was what I was reading um, the other day. And uh, he says, you know, uh, 
when I'm going, my father has prepared a place and there's many rooms, and if it were not so, I would not say so. Well, uh, it's either true or the dude's lying to me. And if he's lying to me, this is not the son of God. Uh, not in that way. That's a big truth to lie to lie about, you know. Um, and so I, you know, I had to make the uh, make the decision. But what I found, um, what I found in accepting God was amplified the moment I became committed to Christ. And I say committed because there's a difference for me there. Mm -hmm. I think um, I had a. I had a belief in it, but at one point I said, um, oh God, um, I dedicate my life to you, and this is, this is what it will be, because I've seen what you have done for me in this moment and this place. It reminds me of the story of you know, Ebenezer, I think that's in Samuel, or First Samuel or something, and um, you know, uh, I will, it, it, such was the weight of the moment at the time. Uh, I've never looked back. Mm. It's been... I mean, dare I say incredible, right? Like, I talk about this with enthusiasm, but, you know, and I know if I was in someone else's shoes, I'd be like, this guy's crazy. But the joy and passion that comes from me is just because I'm so excited about the things that I experience in a God. To believe that at the beginning, um, predating what we now consider to be, you know, likely um, a Big Bang-type scenario, either this was formed chaotically or this is formed meaningfully, and the idea that this was formed meaningfully and that we are here with a purpose and uh, that purpose is intimacy with the creator, that's incredible to me. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that, those are a lot of big claims laid out. Uh, it's a big step to take these leaps and to come out to Christianity. Yeah. Um, and yet I have been blessed every way, or every step of the way. And I mean truly blessed, not blessed in like a... Um, like a positive psychology kind of way, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think these blessings are incredible. Um, the sustenance, though, and the grace I feel from God uh, are a part, I think, the, the greatest thing I get. I know I'm yapping. I would say the most tangible part of the week for me um, in terms of my relationship with God is um, when I write my sermon. And I say that because uh, I experience uh, the Spirit of God in a way that I've never felt it consistently. Um, this idea that I'm not just preparing, uh, I'm not just preparing a speech. You know, I'm bringing the very Word of God to God's much beloved people for where they are in that exact time and place, and that. That is what we do, and that's that's a lot bigger than preparing a speech, and it requires a lot more work. It requires so much more prayer and discernment, and in that process, I find God, and I, I really feel like I find God, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, that's funny, because I know some people, like, find it so draining to write a sermon. It is draining. It, ta uh, it takes way longer than anyone ever thinks. Uh, there's a rule that they said in seminary, um, they said an hour for every minute, and I find that to be roughly true, even though I've been doing it longer now. Um, it doesn't get shorter, I just find more things that I do in my prep time to make mm -hmm. it better. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's beautiful, it is draining. It, take, it permeates your entire week, Mo from Monday when I start thinking about what's to come on Sunday until Sunday when I deliver that message and it comes out however it comes out. I never know. I, can, I practice my sermons three times um, physically, twice on Saturday and once Sunday morning before I deliver them. Uh, and it's never the same on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a completely different beast when you're doing it there in the moment, hopefully with the aid of the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to backpedal a little bit. We have not answered why did you end up Baptist? Oh, oh, and that's a good one. Okay, so I'm, I decide I'm Christian. I'm following yes. Jesus Christ. And now we come to this paradigm where some have said uh, that there are 30,000 unique denominations in the U.S. Uh, that might be hyperbole. I don't, I don't know. But it's definitely something that people say. I would believe it. It's pretty impressive, right? So how do you know um, what to be? I, I was Baptist. I didn't know what that meant. I, I knew we did things, but I didn't know what it meant relative to other religions. I knew there were some things I didn't like in some places. I, uh, I didn't like that I couldn't take communion at a Catholic church. That bothered me. Mm. Um, 
because I was, uh, you know, as a young kid who thought I was close with God, I was used to taking communion. Uh, to be denied it, I was like, but Jesus loves me. He says this is his table and all are welcome. Why well, you get to decide? Yeah, it, it didn't jive well with my, my, um, my aggressive pubescent mind at the time. Yeah. Um, I'll just put it like this. Baptists are awesome. Okay, here, <laughs> I know it's blunt. Here, be honest. So, so the Baptists fit in, um, they fit in really well in, uh, well, frankly, they fit in really well in our own particular context here in the West. Baptists kind of co-developed at the same time that the United States and this belief in independence was emerging, you know, and it becomes this popular ideology and Baptists kind of cling on to it too. Um, and it leads them in interesting ways. So uh, Baptists are named because um, they, we believe that uh, you have to make a knowing um, confession of faith. So, uh, and, and you would do a public baptism to show what has happened on the inside, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and we do it by dunking. That's the big thing too. Um, and that's to mimic the way that uh, uh, those in the first century would enter a mitzvah. The Baptists developed, and they did what all new denominations want to do. They say, we want to be like the church was right at the beginning. And every church seems to start that way. Yeah. And, and that was their goal. And uh, so they tried. But it, it, so um, you have to be, you have to um, knowingly make a confession to Christ. And that jived well with me, you know. Um, Church autonomy is a big thing for Baptists. Mm. Uh, they're emerging in an environment where the, only the Church of England is allowed to um, practice, and so people are starting to uh, to immigrate and emigrate, and we have um, some go over to different parts of Holland and, and Amsterdam, and others are starting to come over to the New World here, and uh, these kind of... Um, these, these, these new bodies are emerging, but there's a tremendous fear of um, of hierarchy because they're being persecuted, all of them, by this one church. And so Baptists say, you know what? Every church should be able to rule themselves. So this has pluses and minuses. There are definite advantages to having hierarchical structures. Um, and uh, as a pastor, I can feel the disadvantages. Um, we have, like... Uh, collectives of church mm -hmm. so uh, associations we call them uh, but we don't receive financial support from them mm -hmm. uh, we're we can make agreements of belief but no one can tell us what we believe no one can tell each church who they can appoint as their pastor each pastor mm -hmm. can function independently so what this means as you can imagine if you push it far some churches are weird right the Baptists get an in get get a reputation for our uh, idiosyncratic styles, beliefs, you know, um, that kind of thing. And, and also, uh, I say Baptist, but there's a lot of different kinds of Baptists. The largest type of Baptist in the U.S. Uh, at 16 million members, although I think that might have decreased, um, and the largest Protestant denomination are the Southern Baptists. Mm -hmm. uh, they have, they, the Northern and the Southern Baptists actually split at, at a meeting at the First Baptist Church of Philadelphia over the issue of slavery in uh, the 1840s. I just need to put that little plug in there. A little Philly history plug. That's right, yeah. yeah um, Philadelphia has been an important Baptist center, and our Baptist headquarters are in Valley Forge, right down the street. Um, but anyway, so the Southern Baptists have hierarchy, but most Baptist churches don't. So church um, church autonomy. So are you American Baptist? I'm American Baptist. Okay, I wanted to make sure I had it right. Yes, yes, you got it. So uh, Baptists come to the U.S., they form this triennial convention, uh, the issue of slavery emerges, and just like we're seeing today with issues of LGBT inclusion, we were seeing it then, and the, the dom denominations are splitting, and so the Baptists split into the Northern and Southern Baptists. Uh, in, the, in the early to mid-20th uh, century, the name cha was changed from Northern Baptist to American Baptist, so that's who we are. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so, so there's more. So priesthood of all believers is a belief that we have that says that uh, no one is closer to God than another by virtue of occupation or title, and no one needs an intercessor from God. That jived well with me, too. Uh, and, you know, they're speaking into indulgences and same, uh, the, the same motivations for a lot of these uh, 
for this for this Protestant revolution, you know, mm-hmm. or the, this Reformation as we call it. Um, uh, oh, individual soul liberty is another important one, um, which is fishy, right? So the idea behind this is that ultimately only ourselves can be accountable to God. And that's true. I believe that. Um, it's hindered, and its purpose was to hinder authoritative figures from telling people what they can and can't believe. Um, perhaps sometimes there's an advantage to that. There certainly is a disadvantage to that as well. You know, So these kind of balances. So it's like the king couldn't become Christian and tell everyone that they have to be Baptist because that it, doesn't work in Baptist. Exactly, exactly. It would have no legitimacy in the minds of a Baptist. I'm trying to think if any of the other... There's some other polities that are kind of outdated, like um, distinctives. Like we only have two offices, uh, pastor and congregation, essentially. You know, um, But what this amounted to for me was a lot of freedom to navigate... Uh, Context and context is important to me in my ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think all ministries should be important. Yeah, I, Erica, I think that's a good and, and accurate statement. One that not everyone agrees with, but I think it's a right statement, frankly. Um, yeah, context is so important. And you know, we serve an incarnational Christ who incarnates in very specific contexts and does it well, right? Like Jesus wasn't, uh, he doesn't come to us as like a a man from a different century or dimension, you know, he's very much a Palestinian man. Uh, the dude's a Tecton, a carpenter, a handyman, you know, he's he's poor, he's uh, uh, he seems to be penniless, uh, it doesn't seem like he has a, an active home, he's always staying with friends, you know, these kind of things. Um, so God incarnates, and even in the scripture writing process, I mean, how beautiful that God uses humans to pen the words. Mm. Uh, and involving humans can always get a little sloppy, too. You know, we're not perfect, but God doesn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. I picture when I make cookies with my mom when I was little, uh, you know, my cookies would always come out not looking circular and big blotches and disproportionate, you know, and hers would be perfect. But there was a joy in seeing some of the mess that I created and letting me get better at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think God comes along for the process in that way. So yeah, um, Baptists allow me to be contextual. Um, there's no central authority that's telling me, you know, how to pursue what, and uh, it really makes for a nice church experience, particularly because I'm so interested in working with marginalized communities, and these communities. Um, they may or may not have a lot of support from uh, the top of the denomination, but as you go from the top down, you'll encounter more and more resistance. Mm-hmm. And um, not having those kind of limitations has been a real blessing to my congregation and my ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have a certain... Um, I don't know that there's a correct denomination. I would be surprised if there was. Which mm-hmm. one of us gets everything right? Interestingly, the founders of the, um, the Baptists, uh, one is Roger Smith, he, uh, he went over to Europe and he found the Anabaptists and uh, he said, oh, these guys are pretty cool. I'll just become one of them. We believe in almost the same things. So yeah, he didn't die a Baptist, he died an Anabaptist. And Roger Williams over here in, um, in the Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island Colony, um, he... Uh, he eventually left the Baptists that he had founded in Providence uh, because he said, we can never know what, um, what denomination we should be in until Jesus comes and tells us. So he just left all the denominations. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and I, I like that sense of humility. But Baptists have been really great for me. Uh, and historically, American Baptists have been um, socially progressive, and that, um, that jives well with my own... Um, theology of liberation you know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it's been a good fit for me yeah yeah it's awesome yeah i i, you I, I, me I want to be a baptist no it's good i i'm always doing these plugs for baptists because baptists <laughs> are awesome i really think so um so a part of that independence in the baptist church is you are ordained by a specific church correct yeah good for you look at you yeah that's right yeah so i um my ordination process for the american baptist it's it's pretty mainline but I have to start by saying it's all a suggestion. 
Because mm-hmm. a church can ordain whoever they feel God is calling them to ordain. Mm. So what happens is uh, the church that I'm that I'm a part of, you have to be a, you have to be in a leadership role in a church for three years is what they ask. Mm-hmm. Um, the denomination asks. So our church. Um, would recommend us to be ordained through the denomination. Mm. But even if I botched it all, ultimately, the church could decide to ordain me regardless. It doesn't happen often. I've actually never heard of it happening. Yeah. Um, generally, we take the advice of these boards and, and such, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, they require a, a Master of Divinity degree. Uh, so you go and get your Master of Divinity, and then when you come out, you can go through the ordination process. And that involves discernment with the executive minister, um, it involves a big, hefty paper where you systematize your theology, you know, answer some questions, and uh, it involves going before this board. And the first time you go before them, they are brutal because the second time it's public, and they don't want you to get embarrassed, right? So they're really. Not, it's good that they're brutal mm-hmm. at first, you know, and you work on it, and you sometimes, um, sometimes they just ask you to make a few corrections. Sometimes they ask you to meet with a pastor and, you know, rehash out some things or develop in some areas. Mm-hmm. And I, I, The idea is not to have right beliefs, it's to see a well-roundedness. Um, you can generally, you can believe what you want. They want to see that you thought about it and that you have a reason for believing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but but for instance, a big one that comes up is LGBT inclusion. No one will be denied uh, in the American, in my particular association, in American Baptist, because mm-hmm. that also differs uh, for for that for a belief in LGBT inclusion or anything like that. Yeah. You just have to defend your belief. Yeah. yeah, so as long as you have a theologically rooted argument for your belief. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but but the amount of time it takes to get ordained post seminary um, is a lot shorter in my tradition than in, say, yours. Yeah, and most others, you know, um, uh, it's usually longer, but because of our lack of, of official hierarchy mm-hmm. um, or mandated hierarchy, I guess it just moves a little quicker. Yeah. yeah, so it usually takes like a year, year and a half to finish okay. the ordination process. I was going to ask you how long. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So, if you were going to give one piece of advice mm-hmm. to someone thinking about becoming a pastor, someone in seminary, um, any of those type of people, someone who's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, what would what would your piece of advice be? Yeah, I came in here with kind of probably a different thought to that question, but I, I think we already hit on it a little bit when I, I really think that you have to have um, a calling in your heart for this work. And I, I say that out of love because it's hard work. Um, it's it's rewarding, but not instantly. Um, it can be lonely. It's it can be a lot of work. Uh, people have can be really harsh with pastors. You face a lot of um, you deal with a lot of um, mental deficiencies in the sense of say um, triangulation or transference. People. Um, or projection even, people um, people taking their um, presuppositions about what you ought to be and placing them on you, you know, or transferring beliefs. Um, uh, they say, oh, you should have, this person is supposed to act like the last pastor, moving that on to you. And um, it's been helpful to remember, thanks to seminary education, uh, particularly the work of author Paul Boers and his book, um, Never Call Them Jerks, uh, he uh, he talks about he talks about these things, but he reminds he reminds the reader that it's not generally about us. Mm-hmm. It's generally something going on in their world, and their anxieties or, or whatever are pulling you into it mm-hmm. uh, as a way to cope and relieve mm-hmm. um, their own stresses. And that's been helpful. But yeah, all that to say, I really think you you need to be passionate about it. Um, for me, it was it was it became over time an obvious call. Um, I didn't mention either uh, when I was in high school. You do those career aptitude tests, right? And um, clergy showed up as my top thing. And I remember thinking like, no, you know, no. And this, the same thing happened uh, when I was finishing undergrad, and you know, so so I feel like I was made for this. But um, you didn't always feel that way. I didn't always feel that way. No, and it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and you have to be passionate about it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing is do your devotions, kids. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I find that people aren't uh, people aren't in our field aren't always doing their devotions, and I I can't do my work unless I'm rooted with God, and I I really mean that. I don't mean like like I should do it. I I should be doing my devotions, all that. I mean like I do not have what it takes to do my job adequately if I'm not doing my devotions regularly. There is a real spiritual um, depletion that feels legit to me. Um, yeah. yeah, as crazy as that may sound. No, I think that's very fair. I think a lot of people giving spiritual care forget to take spiritual care. Yeah, and it's easy to do. You're like, because you're dealing with it, right? Yeah, and you're like, I care. I want to give everything to these people I care about. Yeah, yeah. It seems like God sometimes just likes to sit with us, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. hold us, cradle us, give us the attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's what I find. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say? Anything else you want to cover? Anything else you want to... Oh my, I have, t- I'm looking at the clock, an hour and two minutes you have heard me, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm really... It's a good hour. I'm really appreciative, Erica. This has been so cool. Um, I mean, the last thing, because it's been on my mind all day, I guess, and really throughout my, my ministry is it's all about relationship. Mm-hmm. I know that's a broad statement, but um, all of what I do is... It's about connecting people with God and connecting people with each other. And we can't relegate relationship for other tasks in our lives. So uh, sometimes I like to, I have my to-do lists, you know, and I I just want to get my tasks done. You have to put the people who are in front of you first. Mm. Um, This is, this is what people are seeking when they come to church is a relationship, whether it be with other people, which it often is, um, or with God, which is what we aim for it to be. Mm. Yeah. But Stanley Grenz in um, Theology for the Community of God, he, he says quite cogently that um, God does not exist outside of community. Mm-hmm. God always lives in community. And we're called to community too. So relationship is really vital. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the How Did I Get Here podcast. Mm-hmm.